All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Um, I hope uh, you're doing well and um, have worn some green so you don't get pinched. Uh, you know, people get a little bit friendly in the city uh, once the uh, drinking begins. And so they might uh, reach out and touch somebody when it's not actually welcome. So, um, guys, God bless you for being here and worshiping with us today. Guys, we are excited because we are in the Lenten season. Um, and the uh, Lenten season is actually something that uh, you might be familiar with uh, if you grew up in the church. Um, if you did not grow up in the church, uh, the like myself, the uh, Lenten season was a bit unfamiliar to you, um, but we're going to explain it to you briefly. Um, for those of you that don't know yet, I see a couple people. Uh, my name's Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. I look forward to getting to know you. Um, but the Lenten season is part of the annual church calendar, okay? And um, what was helpful about the early church calendar whenever we were uh, starting to learn about God is that God tells the story of Jesus and the gospel through the annual calendar that's taking place, right? That's what the church literally used to help disciple um, people who were coming to Christ. And so um, we see that obviously we have Christmas celebrations talking about the birth of Jesus, the Lenten season, which is preparing our hearts um, for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and um, also Easter itself, which is celebrating his triumphant resurrection. Now, um, within that, the Lenten season has also been utilized as a period of consecration, where we're taking that time to intentionally set ourselves and our hearts apart in special ways, intentional ways, um, to Christ and allowing him to do things in us through, um, whether it be uh, types of sacrifice or uh, types of um, um, intentional study that will help us grow in our devotion to him. And so um, over the course of this um, this week, um, the next several weeks leading up to Easter, what we're going to do as a church is we're going to do a devotional of sorts. And it's, we're going to call it the inside job. We're going to call it the inside jobs, particularly because it's actually um, going to be going through the epistle of First Peter which is a letter to the church, and there are different types of letters to the church. Um, there were uh, letters that many people are familiar with, which are called the Pauline letters, written by the Apostle Paul, addressing specific issues that were taking place within the church. So whenever the church was learning how to walk with God and learning how to obey him and be like Christ in the world around them, he would write letters to them to address issues that they were dealing with so that they could do so accordingly. Um, then there were also what were called called the pastoral epistles. And those were primarily 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, where Paul was training his young disciple how to lead within a church context so that there could be order in the house of God and actually the people of God could be governed according to God's standards. But then there were what were called the general epistles, okay? And the general epistles were for everybody. It didn't have a particular context to them. It just said, if you are Christian, you should think this way. If if you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, you should live this way. And First Peter, Second Peter, First through Third John, we see them um, actually the uh, epistle of James. We see that those were general epistles that were or general letters that were written to the church that helped us in our sanctification process. And when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about being set apart to God for His purposes. So over the Lenten period, we're going to go through that as a devotional. If you want to do one um, one chapter a week to really dig into 
into it and like digest it and unpack it, um, that would be a good thing to do. But we're going to use an acronym to help us over the course of the next five weeks, okay? And that acronym is going to be FIRST, okay? That acronym is going to be FIRST because obviously in this Lenten period, we're once again praying and asking God that he would be first in our lives, that even as he set his son um, to the earth to be the firstborn among many descendants and save us from our sins, that God himself would take his throne in our hearts and be first in our lives. So today's F, starting with that acronym for the inside job, what do I need inside of me to be going on if God is going to be first in my life? I need some focus. I need some doggone focus, right? Because we are a scattered generation. We are a scattered people. We are all over the place in our thoughts, our activities, with our uh, devotions, with the things we give ourselves to. But Peter addresses that from the outset, and so shall we, okay? So let's open in the Bible um, today to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you do not have it on this, um, in your seats, we're going to have it on the screen. We're going to read it together and honor the Word of God because we're going to say that it's actually the Word of God that helps us to focus. And so we're going to read it together thoroughly, and then we're going to uh, make comments on it so that we can indeed put God first. All right, so it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I like that thinking about the inside job. I mean, if you're going to listen to anybody about what Jesus had to say and what he did, obviously you want to listen to somebody who walked with him, talked with him, was one of his inside crew for those three years of ministry, right, that he was here. He, Peter, had an inside um, scoop all into all that Jesus was concerned about. And he said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect, exiles in the dispersion, And the dispersion was those people, the people of God who were scattered among the Roman Empire, wherever they found themselves in these areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These were different regions where the church was being represented and had popped up, but they were dispersed, right? They were dispersed, and so therefore they needed a bit of anchoring. They needed a bit of focus because they were surrounded continually by people and a culture that did not know or honor God as he intended them to. And so they needed focus in that which way we're living like. Okay. He said, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in the sanctification, which means being set apart of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that's good news, right? Be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, is lovely, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him 
and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through, um, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels... Long to look. (laughs) Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, on all its glory like the flowers, I'm sorry, in all the glory, its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay, that was all of 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you've ever read the uh, scripture before, it's, uh, it's a challenge at times to read it as it's intended because it's broken up over the course of the letters and over the course of the chapters of the gospel in a flow that don't necessarily follow the train of thought as the writers of the scripture or the writers of the gospel originally intended it, right? But if you're writing a letter to somebody or in our present case, an email to somebody, you have a flow of thought, right? And it goes one into another and it helps build upon itself. A lot of times what we do is we dissect the scripture in such a way that it's piecemealing it, right? And we almost take things out of context and we don't get the breadth of the focus that it's trying to produce in our hearts and in our lives. But what we see according to this word is that there are a couple of things that were highlighted here. Number one, we said we see that God is highlighting for us that we've been born again. We've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, that though there are things 
flowers of the field that um, are beautiful in their time, eventually what we're all going to experience is a death. And we're going to experience a death that we come to grips with our creator and we're going to have to give an account according to the life that we lived uh, to the one who made us and we're going to have to say what we did with our lives, whether we honored him or whether we wasted the life that he gave us. Now, most people think of this and they say, well, I'm obviously not wasting my life because I'm busier than I would like to be. Can everybody say amen to that? <laughs> okay, I am busier than I would like to be. But what he's saying here is that not all things that are, that are being done in the name of busyness are actually done in the name of holiness. Not all things that are done in the name of busyness are done in the name of holiness. And to actually have a life of focus in God, what God is saying ultimately is that you've been born again by an imperishable seed, and because it's imperishable, you should live for things that are also imperishable which understandably means eternal, right? The things that we do on a daily basis should have an impact, obviously, to bless the world around us as they have particular needs today, but it should also have an eternal focus on that which God is concerned about, that which God is building, which is ultimately what leads to holiness. And holiness, whenever people have thought about it in the church world in general, they've often thought of holiness as an external thing as an external thing, right? You think of the word holy and you ultimately or immediately think of rules and regulations. How many people like had an experience like that, right? If you think of holiness, you think do this and don't do that. Wear this and don't wear that, right? You um, speak this way or don't speak that way. But what God is talking about when he's talking about an inside job and putting him first is he said, be holy because I'm holy and be set apart is what the word holy means in all that you do because I'm set apart in all that I do. And it's not enough in this life that you are consecrated by me just in word or in thought, but in action too. Be holy, be set apart just as I'm holy, starting from what's going on on the inside of you meaning that there should be an orientation, there should be a trajectory, there should be constant thought being given to what I'm spending my time, my talent, my resources on in such a way is, is it actually a consecrated work? Is it a set-apart work? Is it me being a busy body or is it me actually fulfilling that which God Almighty has set me apart to do from eternity past and when I send, stand before him one day, will give an account for saying where he can say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've accomplished not just some things, but the very things I've called you to be and do. Whenever you're talking about holiness, you've got to think in this regard. Holy is set apart to him. Be holy in all that you do, because he says, I myself am holy. Now that takes some focus, does it not? Because most of us just go throughout our days responding, reacting to things. We're reactionary creatures. When somebody angers us, we respond with what? Yeah, well, hopefully not cursing, but we respond with, you know, like a, a little bit of a pushback, right? We, when, we, when somebody actually um, um, throws some more responsibility on us, whether it be in a family context or a work context, what do we immediately do? We throw out our priorities, right? And we respond to the tyranny of the urgent. 
Anybody ever heard of that before, right? You don't build according to what's most important in your life. You respond only to what's an urgent thing. Like a house is always burning down and you're responding to things as if that, that which is immediately in front of you is the most important thing. But how many people know that if you build a life that way, you're never going to accomplish that which God set you apart in holiness to accomplish? If you're only responding to the tyranny of the urgent all the time, there's not going to be a focus to build that which is eternal. Jesus Christ himself had to realize that and have to, had to order even his days that, um, that way. We remember that even Jesus in his ministry, when he was doing good on the earth, he was opening blind eyes. He was opening deaf ears. He was driving demons out of people. He was raising dead sons back from the dead and giving them to their widowed mothers, right? He was doing all of these good things. And when people saw all the good things that he was doing, they came to him in the middle of the um, not, um, in the middle of his morning devotions, and they say, "Jesus, coming back and like talk to the people. Everyone's been looking for you, right? Always respond, Jesus. Always respond to the urgent. Always respond to the next person who's clamoring or calling your cell phone or the next text message you get. Lord knows the next Facebook post you get. Why? Because people will be offended if you don't respond in the next ten minutes, right? Isn't that the truth?" People get like really offended, much less the, like the, the work, um, the requirements that you have. If you do not respond within 24 hours, right, there's something wrong, right? Isn't that the truth? There's a tyranny of the urgent that pulls at you. But what Jesus did is he said, listen, I hear you, but I'm going to another town to preach there also because that's why I've come. I can't just respond to what's immediately in front of me. I've got to respond to that which God the Father is building eternally. I've got to live with some focus. I'm holy and set apart to my heavenly Father. And if I don't do what I was sent here to do, the world is going to die. Now, Jesus obviously said that, and we don't, okay? We're not that important, okay? That if we don't do what, we, what he said we're going to do, the world's going to die. Jesus alone had that responsibility on his shoulders. But there is a measure, right? There is a measure of fulfilling the call of God that takes focus in the same way. And the only way that we can live with that focus is through the living and enduring word of God. It's through the living and enduring word of God. Now, how many people like me have read the Bible through several times and sometimes, come on, let's just be honest, sometimes feel like been there, done that, heard that, and I'm tempted to, you know, just say, yeah, I know. Anybody? Come on now. Yeah, sure, 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 right? As soon as you hear that first like few words, it's like the, a familiar song, name that tune, right? You hear the first few words of a particular verse, and then you immediately turn out, start to check your Instagram post, right? Because, oh yeah, been there, done that, right? Well, the problem with that is, is that the only thing that anchors our soul, the only thing that gives us a daily perspective of focus is not your emotions, not even the encouragement that you get from your brothers and sisters around you, but it's actually the living word of God. 
that keeps you and anchors your soul. Can we throw up those last verses again from 1 Peter? When he's talking about holiness and actually putting him first, he's saying the only thing that will keep you steady and on course on the straight and the narrow is going back to that same word again and again and again to give you perspective, to give you insight, to give you revelation, and not just so that you know the stories, but that you actually go through the Bloom's taxonomy chart and begin to synthesize and apply the stories to your life. There is both a historic element to the Scripture, but there is also a prophetic element to the Scripture. What do we mean by that? We mean that when the Scripture is read by the individual, they are being educated about how God has interacted with humanity in a particular period of time. But then, because the Holy Spirit is alive and active, he's using that same word to illuminate how God wants to interact with you in today's times, in today's circumstances, and for his eternal kingdom to advance in the same way. You have to look at the scripture and say, what has he done? And now what will he do in the same way, in the same sense of power and grace and miraculous working through my life if I trust him as the men and women of scripture did? That's why he says in Romans 15, 4, that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Hope in what? That the same God who lived back then is the God who lives today. The way that he made manifest his purposes, his power, and his glory back in biblical times, he wants to do so today. The salvation he wants to bring to households and to cities and to nations, he wants to do today. But what gives people the perspective and the faith for that? It's the focus of going back to that everlasting, ever-living word. He says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. You are not only born again by the word, but you are kept by the word. You are focused by the word. You're helped and directed in your daily interactions by the word. A man named Charles Spurgeon, many of you are familiar with him. He was actually giving commentary on Psalm chapter 119. And if you've ever read Psalm 119, right? I often like at uh, our devotion, our family devotions, give um, our children the opportunity on their birthdays to... uh, pick the uh, the Bible uh, chapter that we they read, and many times in tongue-in-cheek, they're like, Psalm 100. Anybody want to know why? Shortest psalm in the Bible. Okay, shortest chapter in the Bible. They're like, Psalm 100. Like, ha, ha, ha. Okay, instead we're going to read Psalm 119. Okay, okay, which is the longest. And so, because Charles Spurgeon was actually um, writing on Psalm 119, which is actually about the Word of God and the importance of it. And he said this. He said, the Bible must be your chart, and you must exercise great watchfulness that your way may be according to its directions. You must take heed to your daily life as well as study your Bible. And you must study your Bible that you may take heed to your daily life. With the greatest care, a man will go astray if his map misleads him. But with the most accurate map, 
he will still lose his road if he does not take heed to it. The narrow way was never hit upon by chance. Neither did any heedless man ever lead a holy life. We can sin without thought. How many people can say amen to that? We can sin without thought. We have only to neglect the great salvation and ruin our souls. But to obey the word and walk uprightly will need all our heart and soul and mind. Let the careless remember this. What he's saying very practically is that there's no being an effective Christian without the word of God. Without the word of God anchoring and filling our souls. And you've got to understand that when he's talking in 1 Peter about being holy because I'm holy and be set apart because I'm set apart, there is a vast difference between intellectual faith and a walk with God that he applauds and approves. Is that not true, people of God? There is a vast difference. What he's talking about is a relationship a relational faith, where it's not just what you know, but it's how you're employing that which you know. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who not only hear my word, but put it into practice. And in the Lenten season, to focus, what we've got to do is learn to not only appreciate his word, not only say, I agree with his word, but actually be careful to obey. It's like he's telling us over and over again, as his beloved children, be careful to obey. If any of you are in the middle of parenting, or you remember parenting, or you are still being parented at 30 and 40 years old, listen, the thing is, is that you remember talking to your kids, right? And it's sort of like, one of the things it's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Okay, anybody ever heard that before from a kid? I didn't mean to do that. Right, or yeah, yeah, how many of you have said that before and being corrected? Oh, I didn't mean to, right? And it was like a knee-jerk reaction. And then you had to look them in the eye, right? Sometimes get down and say, listen, I need you to be careful to obey, which means you actually put some thought into it, meaning you're not just going around swinging the bat, you know, like hoping that it doesn't hit anybody just because you're in your own world, Right? This is a little bit too personal, I understand. But listen, the thing is, is that you have to be careful to obey the instruction that we've given you. That is true of a child. It's true of an adult. And if we do not give ourselves to the word of God as our hope and our daily focus, we will, not might, but will go astray. We will not have context to the nine to seven o'clock hours that we're working, right? trying to figure out why my life is feeling like it's just going through the motions and I'm almost aimless. I do a few good things here or there, but I don't sense that I'm in the flow of God or his purposes. Why? It's because there's no anchor that's contextualizing it for you. You're busy, but not necessarily holy. But if you find yourself in the word of God, then you can begin to say every decision that I make, every day that I go into, I'm asking the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, how do you want this day to be set apart? That every day I lay my head on that pillow, I might say like Jesus on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. 
What I've done, I've done in his grace. What I've done, I've done to the best of my ability according to his marching orders. And if I didn't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, I at least obeyed what I knew out of his word. Out of his word, right? That's what he's going to hold us to. It takes focus for that. Now, some people say to themselves, well, I hear that, I, I want to do that, but I, I don't know that I really have the faith to like approach my days that way. Has anybody ever like sort of said to themselves, you know, I want to do more for God, but I don't know that I have the faith for it? Well, here, here's the thing. Number one, you can look to people in the scripture of how to bridge the gap. This, this is a challenge for the Christian. How do I bridge the ca- gap between what I perceive in my mind. See, everything in God's mind is holy to him, right? Meaning he, he looks at it. He doesn't look at that divide that we create between the secular and the religious, right? Well, many people have this idea of they have my, I have my secular life and then I have my religious life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's sort of like I come and I worship and that's one compartment of me, but then I go into the real world and that's where I have to deal with real things, and God's like, I don't look at things that way. I want to touch it all, right? And so when you look at the word of God, what, do you, what, do you, what are you able to mine out? What are you able to unearth? Well, you're able to unearth, for instance, those of you who work in, <clears throat> in business, you see God giving principles of how to conduct your business affairs in a manner that pleases him, that's godly and efficient for building the kingdom. For those of you who are medicine, you see that you could be near Christ just as um, um, Luke, the um, <clears throat> writer of the New Testament gospel and also the book of Acts was proclaiming the good news of God, even while your hands are being used to heal. If you're in education, you're seeing that not only am I giving things that are right and true in terms of, you know, the laws of the universe, but I'm explaining them as a source coming from the creator of the universe itself. If you're in um, some sort of homemaking, then you're able to raise up disciples who not only know and love their God because they come to a church service, but because you're ministering to them in a home setting, showing them by example how to live for the creator of the universe. The word shows you how to do this. Some of you are called to government. I love those of you who are called to government because it's sort of like when you look at the um, uh, book of Nehemiah or Ezra, you look at Esther, you look at Joseph's life in Genesis, you see how even in the midst of a pagan culture, they were able to stand for God and then infiltrate with the word and the kingdom of God, bringing even pagan kings to the knowledge of God as they stood for him in that place. Every context that you find yourself in, you can meet God there. And you can have faith for it because of his word that focuses you. That focuses you. There was a man named D.L. Moody, obviously of the uh, namesake of the church down the street. Um, He was talking to people who were constantly saying, God, give me faith. Increase my faith, right? Anybody ever prayed that prayer before? God, increase my... It's a good prayer to pray, is it not? God, increase my faith. This is what he said about it, though. He got real practical. He said this. He said, listen to this. I prayed for faith. I prayed for... This is D.L. Moody now. Anybody know, like, D.L. Moody? How he was used of God? Okay, good. He said, I prayed for faith. <clears throat> And thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. 
but faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith cometh by hearing. He was King James, okay? And hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study and faith has been growing ever since. I'm going to read that one more time. Is that okay? I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning, but faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study, and faith has been growing ever since. You will not be an effective Christian without the Word of God. You will not live a holy life without the Word of God. And let me make this clear. We appreciate Christian books. But Christian books should only be commentaries on the Word of God that's already written. It is a supplement, not a replacement to that which is divinely inspired. Do not be lazy. Go right to the source. Do not depend on prefabricated devotionals. Hear me now. That come up on version or Bible Gate. No, these, these are excellent sources. I thank God for them. You hear me? I'm not criticizing them at all. I say thank God for them. But if you're only living on those, you will be weak. You will not have the strength that you need to actually advance. You might have the strength to hold on, like your faith isn't going to die. But is that what it means to live a holy life? Just me and my personal walk with Jesus, and we're holding on barely. Let me go back to my 15-minute devotional. Hello? Is this... Is this making sense? And I say this being tempted to do the same thing. I'm not above it. I feel the same temptation. After all these years, been what, 21 years, as I've been walking with God as old as some of you in here are. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm tired. <laughs> Opening that same Bible every day and saying I've got to live by faith. But you know what Charles, Charles Spurgeon went on to say? He said, he actually said this. And if we contextualize it in our um, particular modern context, you'll, you'll, you'll get the point of it. I'm trying to find this last quote, and then we're um, going to be done. <clears throat> he was talking about the, the uh, battle that people feel between actually giving themselves to the Word of God and actually to the amusements the amusements of life. Do you know what the root of amusement is? The etymology of it? A, 
without muse thought what is most of our culture saturated with amusements amusements right flip 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 click click without thought saturated with it right and we're wondering why we can't as a people advance into the kingdom purposes like we see in the scripture right this is what he said this is Charles Spurgeon (laughs) he said you know more about your magazines and novels than what God has written Many of you will read a novel from the beginning to the end, and what have you got? A mouthful of foam when you are done. But you cannot read the Bible, that solid, lasting, substantial, and satisfying food goes uneaten, locked up in the cupboard of neglect, while anything that a man writes, a bestseller of the day, is greedily devoured. Now, we could easily substitute that for Hulu, Netflix, (laughs) Amazon Prime, (laughs) right? Tweets, posts, right? Anybody ever go on to Facebook and planned only to spend like probably about five minutes on it and then it was like three o'clock in the morning and you're like, what happened? (laughs) Because you were going from link to link. Come on, be honest now. The only way to counteract that pattern is to be focused. The only way to counteract that pattern is to say, I'm going to choose to be holy just as he's holy. Not just busy, not a busy body, but holy. And that starts internally, but it's anchored in the everlasting word of God anchored in the everlasting word of God. And as we go through this Lenten season, it's a wonderful, again, calendar your opportunity to once again press the reset button. Ash Wednesday, right? It was the first Wednesday of the month. Anybody know why they put the ash on people's foreheads? Yeah, it's to remind you Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. All of this is temporary. And one day we're going to stand before our creator and give an account. And when we give an account, he wants to give us an account. We want to give him an account of a focused life so that he can look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy the happiness of your master, right? And so, with that in mind, I'd like us to pray. Worship team, you can come back up. Church is not meant just for education, but it's for exercising the muscles of our devotion. Why? Because we are leaky vessels. And though we might have started a good race, the epistles that were talked through, right, that we would learn to walk through, they're constantly exhorting us 
be careful that something doesn't come and interrupt that race, that you don't get knocked off course. See, we're not just concerned about people making a decision for Jesus. The good news is there are more baptisms coming up of people responding to Jesus. Isn't that good news? Yeah, but that, that's good news. But we're not just concerned about people making a decision for Jesus, but actually continuing on in Jesus and working out their salvation with fear and trembling so that they might come into all that he's created them to be and do. Amen? So let's pray. And then let's ask God Almighty for some focus that we wouldn't just be a busy people, but we might be a holy people built on this word of God, set apart for every good work which he's prepared for us to do in his name. Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us. And we thank you that in this Lenten season, that just as Jesus was holy, wholly set apart to you, Father, that we would be a holy people as well. That in the midst of all of our responsibilities, all of the affairs, all the things clamoring for our attention and our time and our affections, that God, you would be preeminent. Father, you would be the one who is not only first, but you would be the most important one in our lives. You would be the one, Father, who has the throne. You would be the one, God, that we look to daily for our sustenance, for our satisfaction, even for our marching orders, God. That, God, we wouldn't, um, as a people, respond daily to the tyranny of the urgent, but that we would get an eternal perspective of what you're trying to build in and through our lives. And as you give us that prophetic revelation and that prophetic vision, that, God, we might not cast off restraint, but instead we might walk with you in a steady, faithful manner, knowing that you've called us to such a life. And God, we pray that it would come with the greatest joy, the greatest sense of peace, and the greatest sense of purpose than we've ever known. God, bring us to a new place this Lenten season as we honor and celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.